Let's turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, number um, chapter 22, reading from verse 24 all the way down to 46 today. Okay, follow along as I read it to you. 22, beginning at 24. A dispute arose among them, that is the disciples, as to which of them was regarded as the greatest. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go to both prison and death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And then he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. And he said to them, Now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one, for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, that he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they, the disciples, said to him, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away, and knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven and strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Arise, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Amen. It's very hard to stop there, isn't it? Do you want to just keep on going? We're getting into the, the exciting part of the story. Excuse it. Last time we looked at the discussion that went on uh, after the meal as to which of the disciples, the dispute that went on as to which of the disciples was the most important and how Christ rebuked them, he corrected them, he instructed them as to the, the uh, topsy-turvy way of governing in his kingdom. That it was an antithema, it was completely the opposite as to the, the systems of this world. Jesus points out that the, indeed the people of the, the systems of this world act in such a way as they exercise authority or lordship. I love that word, lordship. Absolute sovereignty. They say something, you do it, you have no choice but to obey. He also says that those in authority are called benefactors. And I talked a little bit about that and how that it was like, like Don Coliovi, whatever his name was, from the, the Godfather, how he would give people 
favours, people would come to him. And it was talking from a, a, a place of authority down to a place of no authority. And Jesus says to his disciples who are having this discussion amongst themselves as to who was the most important, who was the greatest, who was going to be sitting beside Jesus in the coming of his kingdom. Jesus says, but not so with you. That the leaders in Christ's kingdom are not to be the ones who are the CEOs, the chairperson, the, the, the big boss whom everybody else serves. Jesus says, not so with you. And I talked a little bit last time, but in my 30-something years being a Christian, I have seen so many conferences and seminars and teachings on how to be a good leader in the church. Indeed, when I was training to be a cell group leader, a church planter, way back, way, way, way back when we were in, in a charismatic church, I had to go through this whole six-week seminar on how to be a good group leader, how to be, how to, how to be able to uh, motivate the group, steer the group, lead the group, influence the group, mentor people. To be honest, it was everything but service. It encouraged you to, to be, you know, Cool and trendy, wearing a, a striped shirt and jeans and, and being the hip and cool and trendy guy. But when it came to service, it kind of speed bumped over it. It did give lip service to servant leadership. But really it was only an empty sound like the clashing of a, a cymbal. There was nothing really to it. And Jesus says of his church that his church should not be led or shall not be led by people who mimic this world in their leadership. Now there are things that we can learn in administration. Administration is the same everywhere in the world. Okay, I mean, administration doesn't change. The administration of administration, that's, that's, a, that's an important thing. You know, we see that in the, in the book of Acts. The Greek widows, they had the, they had the system of administration of giving alms and food and relief to widows. The problem was the administration wasn't working. The problem was there were some people who were getting, the Jewish widows, and then the Greek widows weren't getting. And there was a difficulty there, and that had to be corrected, that had to be changed around. So the problem wasn't with the administration. The problem was with the administration of the administration. Jesus says that we are not to be like this world. That we as leaders are to be servants. And he usually points to himself and I love that about him. He makes the, the, the wonderful example. They're all sitting there like at a restaurant, a fancy restaurant. We all know that. And there are people who, the house that they're in, which is like an inn type thing. And there are people serving them all these fancy foods that, you know, that have been handmade specially for them. And they're sitting there, probably the most fanciest meal they've ever had. You know that when people, normal people celebrated this, it was just like a home-cooked meal. You know, it was a home-cooked meal, with, you know, but ritualized. And so the father came and it was all, and it, you know, but it was just stuff you'd, fancy food, like Christmas dinner, but fancy food. But Jesus is celebrating with his disciples in luxury. I mean, that's the, the this is not just like fancy food. They're, everything has been prepared for them. They're sitting there and it's like they're, I hope you know what the Ritz is, really fancy restaurant in, in London where only famous people eat, you know, where only like Gordon Ramsay type stuff, you know celebrities and Jesus is in this place and people are and it's tremendous and so they're being treated like kings they're sitting there and all of a sudden you know these these fishermen these despised tax collector terrorists you know whatever they were they weren't the kind of people who 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 mixed with authority and, and influence and celebrities. They were just normal people like you and I. And all of a sudden, they're being treated like they're somebody at this meal. And Jesus points, uses this example. He says, who's the more important? The one 
reclining at the table, the one who's eating the meal, or the one who comes along and serves it. And we obviously know it. It was the customer. It's the one reclining at the table. The customer is always right. We've all heard that saying. And their, their minds were like, yeah, of course. It's, it's the one who's been served. And I imagine that was the difficulty. Peter was probably telling people, could you bring me that over, please? You know, Peter was kind of throwing that weight around, really, too, enjoying himself. Treating everybody else like they're lower class citizens. And then Jesus flips it and says, but I am as one who is serving. And we see there the, the servant nature of our king. We should never think too highly of ourselves. We should never think that we are somebody and that we deserve an applause or gratitude or that somehow in some way the people of in the church are here to serve us and to confirm who we are when our own saviour our king our our mentor the one who is our example he came to serve us and still continually to this day is still serving us let us not never think of ourselves higher than him you know, in all this time throughout this journey through the Gospel of Luke, I have never come across one text where Jesus complains about having to care for people or serve people or heal people. I've never come across one example of him thinking, saying you know, some sort of self-pitying thought like, Lord, Father, do I really have to be with these dirty, smelly people? Never happens. Never happens. He is motivated by love. We read from Isaiah 61 there, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to anoint the good news or to preach the good news to the poor. It's a very important lesson for the disciples then, but also down through the ages by the power of the Holy Spirit to you and I today and how we interact as a fellowship. How we interact as a church. It is your natural instinct to think more of yourself than you really are. It's your natural instinct to kind of think, I'm right. For the most part. And some people of us are more right than others. I am married. I do know this fact. But we must never elevate ourselves to the point when we are the grand high pope of all the world and that people are here simply to serve us. I think the, the Roman Catholic system, the Antichrist system, is the greatest example of the, the, the hypocrisy and the opposite nature of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is calling himself a servant, demonstrating his servant. We know that Soon during this meal, he washes the disciples' feet. We understood that. It's a, a literal example. And yet we see in this world today, the example of world religion, of the Pope. Think of the Pope of Rome, sitting upon his throne with his three-tiered crown and his bejeweled garments with their little pearls on it and his golden scepter on his golden throne how far is that from the saviour now we might not go as far as having a bejeweled throne although you know i could go with a bejeweled throne nah or a a three-tiered crown a golden scepter, a little golden ball with a cross on it. I don't know what that means, but it's got there now. You know. With my little red slippers, handmade Pope slippers. Don't know what they are either, but he has them. We might not go that far. But in the elevation of our own estimation of ourselves and the expectation that others should serve us, we slip into the same pattern of the things of this world. And Jesus said, it should not be so with us. We must always guard ourselves 
from the elements of popery. We're not Roman Catholics and we'll never, there's nothing ever. We're the free church. But the elements of popery sneak in like a snake into the garden, like the little foxes that destroy the vines. And they can invade your heart and poison and influence you and turn your mind antichrist so that you begin to think higher than yourself than you should. You begin to sit higher than Christ upon the throne of your own heart. And instead of serving, there becomes the expectation, the prideful assumption that others should do what you say and that you are the one who should be deciding everything. Beloved, Christ rebuked his disciples and he still rebukes the false church of this world and he still instructs us as to the nature of our own service that it is to be love, self-sacrificing love. As Christ Loved the church and gave himself for it. So we too must love the church and give ourselves to it. And then Christ continues on in verse 28. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my father, father assigned to me a kingdom. That you may eat and drink at my table and in my kingdom. Sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He, Jesus was not saying to the, to the 12 that their service would go unrewarded. Jesus was not saying to the disciples that they were never going to get a reward, that they were never going to get acknowledged, that they were, Jesus was going to use them, abuse them, and throw them away. No, he was saying to them that their reward, they shouldn't be expecting it in this life. That their ideal would be, they're serving their master for an eternal reward. And Jesus here points out, I mean, they're expecting the kingdom to come. They're expecting that, that millennial age, as it were, in some sense, that great earthly kingdom to come upon them right there and then. And we know it didn't. They, they're not sitting on thrones judging the 12 tribes of, of Israel there in Jerusalem at that time. Their expectations were wrong. Or, or should we say their timing was wrong. And Jesus acknowledges to them, he says that, that that they will rule. That there is a place there for them. But their time was wrong. And I think that's a great lesson for you and for me. So often, we, we, what's in it for me? That's so natural for human beings, isn't it? You know, the, what's, what's, what's in this for me? What am I getting out of it? My Levi, you know, go tidy room. What do I get if I tidy my room? Do I get more gameplay? Do I get candy? What's in it for me? And I mean, you have to kind of negotiate with them. Do it or else. Um, and then it just goes and causes havoc. But there is this natural, we work not for free, but we work for our reward, for payment, for, for something. I mean, that's just godly. If you put effort into something and you get a return back, a, a farmer sows seed, not just for the sake of sowing seed, but with the idea of reaping a harvest, being able to sell that and, and, and getting profit back at the end. And the idea there is Jesus is assuring his followers, the twelve, that their effort on his behalf is not for naught. There is reward. It is coming. He's assuring their hearts after knocking them down, after telling them, listen, don't start walking around here like you're a king. Don't start, you know, with the big fat cigarettes and the brandy glass and think, you know, everyone's going to say yes or no, sir. But he assures them of the reward that is to come. And we as Christians, we need to be reminded often, I do, repeatedly in my heart, that what, what we're doing is not for our sake. We might not ever be 
wonderful and great and, and acknowledged in this world. But Christ sees all our efforts on his behalf. Nothing goes unnoticed. Nothing is not recorded. Everything is recorded. Everything is noticed. He understands all the difficulties and the hardships. He understands all the sacrifices. He remembers the stand that you take. The world might not notice. The world might stand, mock and laugh, point a finger, snigger and sneer. But Jesus Christ stands by and witnesses. And though you and I may never be like the disciples and sit next to Christ and judge the twelve tribes, be a, a judge over a tribe of Israel, but we can be assured that there is a reward for our faithfulness and for our service and for our love that there comes a time when the golden crowns are given, when the rewards and the blessings are, are administered in heaven. All too often, we think heaven is like a socialist community where we all go there and we're all given our little white Mao costume, you know, like the little kind of pajamas they wear in, in North Korea. And we all kind of stand there with our little Korean heaven flags. And, you know, Jesus is some sort of like North Korean leader. It's not that way. And the rewards are not all equal in heaven. Don't want to shock you or anything, but he who has to him more will be given. And to he who has not, even that which he has will be taken away from him. Service is rendered and service is remembered. Jesus is assuring his disciples, the twelve or really the eleven, because one of them was a devil. He's reminding them that nothing goes unnoticed. You know, we live in this world such a short time. Such a short time. You know, I'm, I love my history. You all know that. In a hundred years, we'll be gone and forgotten. No one will remember our names. Thirty years, be gone and forgotten. No one will remember our names. Maybe our kids. But nothing more than that. Maybe something somewhere. But for the most part... Our footprint upon this earth will be swallowed up and gone. Floop. I told some of you that when I went to get our cat from the forest this week, um, I stumbled upon a, a, a dead village out there in the middle of nowhere. No electricity, no running water, has been dead for decades. 10, 15, 20, 50 years, I don't know. But a little hamlet, little villagelet, you know, like a little community, but it's, no one lives there anymore. It's a dead village. I asked the man that I was with, who used to live here? Because he just lives across the lake and his house overlooks it. No one. Who lives here? I don't know. I can tell you who owns the land now, but who built these houses, I do not know. Whose children used to run around this community, I do not know. Now it's become a, a place haunted by hares and Roger and moose and my cat. Our lives are so short and our influence is so fleeting. We will be here, and the Bible says we're gone like the morning mist, like a summer flower, shriveled up by the heat of the day, grows and is gone in a moment. And yet Christ remembers our service. And as the disciples were assured of their blessing, you and I can be assured of our blessing. Do not think that your service is for naught. Do not think that your efforts go unnoticed. Nothing slips his attention. All things are recorded. And though you might be the most humblest, meekest, mucest servant person 
in this world and taken advantage of and, and downtrodden and meek and all the rest of the stuff. And you think, well, nobody appreciates me. And in this life, that could be true. But let me tell you, Christ appreciates it. Christ remembers. And one day, God willing, when the rewards are given out, the old Pope of Rome with his three-tiered crown and his golden walking stick and his bejeweled throne and his red ruby slippers, he'll look poor in comparison to you. He'll be a beggar. No longer will he be dressed in his finery and his glory and his bedazzlement and his bling. He'll be shown for what he is, really. Antichrist. Beggar. A leper. And you will shine like the stars in the heaven. The glory of the the full moon will pale in comparison to the glory that is upon you. Christ's glory within you. Oh, beloved, let us not belittle our stance. Let us never think that our service is for naught. Christ assures us that there is a reward and that reward will be great. And then he goes on in verse 31. He moves from assuring them of this glory that is to come. He now singles in on poor Simon. Simon. And I think this is very telling. He doesn't call him Peter. You know, Jesus gave Simon the name Peter. Rocky. Rock. You know, kind of like a, he's my rock. This is the guy, you know, my, my right hand man. Uh, he's now not talking to that guy. He's talking to Simon the big mouth. Simon Peter, who always puts his foot in the wrong place. The guy who Jesus has continually rebuked all through the three and a half years of them being together time and time again. The man who at the beginning professed, depart from me, Lord, for I am a man of unclean lips. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. And Jesus turns to him at the end of this meal and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. It's fascinating to know that many of our problems, I don't think all of our problems in life, sometimes it's just bad choices, but there can be a demonic influence in our lives that Satan can request to try someone to test someone to be an influence in their he can come with an accusation we all understand and know that one of his titles is the accuser of the brethren and poor Simon Peter he had set himself up he had boasted and, and assumed and swollen with pride And the old devil said, that one will not stand. And Jesus reveals that Satan had demanded. I think that's a really strong word. Demanded. Not requested, but demanded as if he had some legitimate rights to. That he might sift you like wheat. The, we all know that well. that's the example of when they were doing the sifting of the wheat, they would take like a big sieve, a, a, a wicker basket, and they would scoop up the, 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 the grain in, in its little ear, and they would throw it up into the air, and the parts would separate, and then they would catch it, and they would throw it up again, and it would separate the, sheaf from the chaff from the wheat. And Satan here is, is it's an upheaval. Can, he's not saying it's going to be a small thing. His life is going to be thrown into upheaval. His everything's going to be up in the air, as it were. Nothing, there's nothing going to be left. Everything's going to be exposed. We must never think that we are 
in some way greater than the Apostle Paul, Peter, sorry, or Simon. That somehow in some way we're protected from those trials and from those difficulties. We must always remember that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking those for whom he, he can consume. All too often we behave like secularly minded men, people, excuse me ladies, secularly minded people, where we no longer have any connection to the the, the supernatural now, the opposite is true as well. That there are far too many people out there, charismatics. I have been to so many super charismatic conferences where they've, they've talked about lion-faced demons coming through the wall and them wrestling them on the floor. And I said, the only thing lying in this room is yourself, mate. Oh, liar. But we do understand, we do know that there is a, a, an enemy an enemy to the kingdom of Christ, an enemy of the, the people of Christ. And he desires not just that Simon should be sifted like we, but all of us, and especially those who lead, especially those who are in service, not necessarily from the front, but if you're active in the kingdom of God, you're on that list. He desires to sift. You. He desires to wreck you. And he wasn't doing it for the... It was not Satan's desire to benefit Peter or Simon. He wasn't doing it because he thought, well, after I've done this, he'll be much better as a person. Because the Bible says that of the devil's nature, he comes to kill, to rob, and to destroy. He's a murderer and a liar from the beginning. There's nothing good in him. And he doesn't desire good things. He's a destroyer, a despoiler. He wasn't looking to bless Simon Peter. He was looking to destroy him. To crush the faith that he had. And yet, in the very same breath, Christ assures Simon, but I have prayed for you. That your faith might not fail. What a glorious and wonderful saviour we have. All of us will all go through at some point in our life. That Simon Peter sifting like we experience. Where our faith is tried. Where our commitment is tried. Where our service is tried. Where Satan is hammering at us in our hearts and in our heads and the situation around us and we're on unsteady ground and it feels like everything's up in the air and we're being torn to shreds yet we have the promise of Christ. And here, though he's speaking to Simon Peter, I imagine it's just not Simon Peter that's about to go through this trial. It's all the eleven, all the remaining disciples for when... Christ is arrested. They flee. They scatter. All of them are. And we understand it's only Simon Peter who does the denial. But he is just a spokesman for the, the other 11. Or other 10. He is one of the 11. I have prayed that your faith may not fall. We too have a. Savior, someone whom we trust. We know that Christ is in heaven interceding for his church, praying for us, asking the Father to provide us with what we need that we might overcome this world, that we might grow and not wither. What a glory to know that we have one who stands with us. A protector. A, a, a one who holds the shield. Who covers us with his body. When I think of Christ having interceded for Simon here. I don't just see him as standing off to the side saying, Please Lord, protect him from the, the attacks of the devil. 
Don't, don't, don't let the devil, don't, don't, don't. I see Jesus throwing himself bodily over Peter, Simon Peter, and, and crying out, oh, and every wound, every strike, every attack of the devil, Christ in intercession, taking the very wounds, the very lashes upon his own flesh. Christ intercedes and protects and claims and no one, not even the devil himself, can take anyone from Christ. I love that. I love that. That your faith may not fail. But when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Do you not notice that Christ is in control of all things and knows all things? You and I right now, with our conference stuff that's going on and all the question marks we have about the future, we don't know the answers. We don't know. We can't speak with certainty about anything at this present moment. But yet Christ speaks with certainty. He knows everything. Everything is written down. Everything is planned out. He is the sovereign God. The Lord of all things. Nothing shocks him or surprises him. He wasn't just speaking in, in kind of, well, in a, and I'm sure whenever you get through this, he knew the trial that was about to be undertaken by Simon, but he also knew that Simon would get through it. Why? Not because Simon was such a good guy, but because Christ had interceded for him. He knew that he would rise up again. He knew that he would, he would get back up on his feet. And Jesus then commands him, even beforehand, strengthen your brothers. Isn't that wonderful? You ever gone through a trial or difficulty or had a problem? And, and you, like the young man I was speaking to this week. And, uh, and he, he asks me all these questions. What about this? What about this? What about this? Get the tongues. And there's all, like, all these, like I, said, I told you, felt like all these arrows, all these sharp points and accusations. And it shocked me that I actually knew the answers to them all. Why? Because I myself had gone through those trials. I had come from that position. I spent 19 years in the belly of the beast. And therefore, when someone awakening to these things turns to me and says, what about this? What about that? Where in the Bible? And I'm able to show them. Why? Because Christ interceded for me and I did not falter I did not fail I did not fall but I was lifted up and when I had turned again to Christ I was able to strengthen my brothers the brethren it's wonderful to know that our service doesn't end in our failure In verse 33, he says, Peter says to Christ, Lord, I am ready to go with you to both prison and death. And then Jesus, of course, shows the foolishness of that boast. I tell you, Peter, and there he's using Peter, see that? The rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. Even in this time of weakness, we see Peter who's being picked out. This, And I, I think Peter was being sincere. I think it was an honest answer. I don't think he was being deceptive. don't think he was speaking hyperbole. I think he, if, if the authorities had crashed into that room, Peter would have been up there and in their face. and cha. But even the strongest of us in the face of satanic trial is not strong enough. None of us by earthly means, none of us by human strength can overcome spiritual power. You and I just don't have the muscles to do it. You and I are but small gazelles before a little before a, a roaring lion. We are food for the beast. We must have one who stands on our behalf. The Bible says we have overcome 
Satan, by the word of our testimonies and by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus Christ is the one who delivers. And Peter is such a wonderful illustration of human beings in their flesh. Christ telling Peter that Satan is going to to try him, to sift him like wheat, that he's going to almost falter and fall. But don't worry, I've got your back, Peter, Simon. Simon says, look, I don't need your help. I mean, prison, bring it on. Death, bring it on. Foolishness. None of us are able. And Jesus turns that spotlight again and demonstrates his ability to know the future, his ability to know what's going to happen. Isn't it wonderful to know that despite your failures, your mistakes, the collapse of your Christian life, there is still hope. It doesn't end there. Now, of course, if you fall into moral sin and things that that can disqualify you from, from ministry, from service to the church, but doesn't interfere with your life together with Christ, here we see Paul, saw Peter, fumbling, Here we see him boasting in his flesh, in his excitement, believing that the kingdom's about to come. Like the bleeding of a lamb before the slobbering of a wolf. If Christ had not interceded for him, the devil would have just... But glory be to God that that was not the end of the story. And despite... Peter's denial of Christ, despite all the things that were to to happen that morning, evening, evening, morning, there was still hope. Christ knows what's going to happen. He knows our future. You and I don't even know what's going to happen as we drive home. You don't know what's going to happen when we drink coffee. You don't know what's going to happen this week or this month. World events. Jesus Christ knows all things. And therefore we can be assured of him. That his purposes and his plans will be fulfilled in our lives. And across this globe throughout history. Leading us to the glorious second coming of Christ. When he shall break through the clouds. Bursting through with his angels of countless numbers. And seize upon this reality. And force his rule upon this world. Beloved. We see this. We see Peter and his denial. We see, or not Peter and his denial. Peter and his, his boastful proclamation that he's going to be there. Takes more than human strength to serve Christ. Takes more than just someone boasting being able to make claims. Christ provides us with the strength. Let us never be so foolish to think that we can serve Christ by our own strength. Let's never think that our sins and our denials and our betrayal, because in many ways, Peter betrayed Jesus even worse than than. than Judas. Judas was a a devil from the beginning. He was not a believer. All the way through, he never truly believed. Peter believed from the very first moment. He was full on, jumped in with both feet, love you Jesus forever. And he meant it. And his betrayal in some ways was worse. Especially because Jesus was there and he looks across, he looks into Peter's eyes and Peter knows and the rooster crows. And yet, he was not cast off. He was not rejected. He did not lose his place in the plans of Christ. Absolutely not. It's wonderful to know that Christ's plans will be fulfilled despite the apparent failures, despite the the trials that you go through, despite the, the... the boastings and the 
the wrong thinking or feeling that we might have. Christ's plans shall be fulfilled. His kingdom shall be built. His throne shall be established. Thank God it's not dependent upon you or me. Thank God that that Christ's kingdom isn't dependent upon our faithfulness or upon our servanthood. Despite all of our failings, despite all of our wrong thinkings or wrong practices, Christ shall build his church. Not even the gates of hell shall be able to prevail against them. Jesus knows clearly what's going to happen. Let us be secure and strong in that. Let us know that he has prayed for us. He's interceded for us. Think of the high priestly prayer from John when Christ prays for the church eternal. Remember that he's there at the side of the Father lifting up prayers and interceding for the church today. For you and for me. That we might not falter. That our faith might not dry up despite of our best efforts. He is interceding for us. Indeed, the Bible says that the Spirit of God that is within us intercedes with utterances and prayers that we can't even, we can't even put into words. Let's remember also that Satan desires to try us. He desires to, to crush us. That there is a satanic influence in our lives. That's always there looking for an opportunity to strike. We should never be so secularly minded. That we deny the existence of a spiritual world. It's all too easy to become cynical. It's all too easy to become so modern. Theological that we forget the reality of the spiritual world. Let's never deny the reality of the devil. Jesus believed in a real devil, in a real spiritual spiritual entity called Satan, served by countless unholy angels, unclean spirits. They're as active today as they were in Christ's day. They are agents of temptation. They bring about all kinds of the examples in the the Bible. Infirmities and bondages, mental illnesses. I'm not saying that all those things are turned to evil spirits. Of course not. But they do have the ability to do so. They have the ability to bring demands to influence your life in some way. To wreck your life in some way in order to cast down your faith. But you should always remember that Christ stands with you. He overshadows you. He protects you. He looks after you. He's an influence for good in your life. And that he will not let you fail. There's an old Bible verse that I, I used to say all the time. Rejoice because it's from a song. And, and, and I, when I was going through a hard time as a young man, I used to, to say it. You know, like Martin Luther used to speak to the devil and, and pray, you know, and he was in his person. Come not here, Satan. Well, I, when I was a young man, I would do things similar. Rejoice not against me, O oh, my enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. That used to be my prayer. For I know that I will fall because I'm a foolish man with a big mouth like Simon Peter. And I know that the devil seeks to try me, sift my heart like wheat in order to crush me. But I have one who prays for me, intercedes for me, who will never let me go, who has declared in his word, fear not, for I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Bible tells us that he has the galaxy, the universe in the palm of his hand. All things are according to his word. Should we be afraid? Should we fear? Should we be disturbed? Should we not be all the more bold in our proclamation of the gospel? Should we not be more Christian 
in our lives. Oh, that the Lord would raise us up, that we would be a generation dedicated to his glory, that we would be a a dedicated generation to the preaching of the gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, please help us. Lord, we are so fickle. Lord, we are so cowardly and weak in our generation. Lord, we we understand and know, Lord, in our heads, that you are the Lord of all and that all things are servant or are subject to your command. Yet, Lord, the, the scriptures do warn us of the influence and elements of spiritual forces active in this world today who seek the destruction of your church. He who is called the accuser of the brethren. Lord, we pray that you would help us. That, Lord God, you would guard our minds and our hearts against the accusations of the enemy. That, Lord, we might trust in the overwhelming power of the blood of Christ, which cleanses us from every stain. We pray, Lord, that you would be active. That, Lord, those who are under the the influence of Satan might flee to you. We understand, Lord, that none of us are strong enough to counteract the the powers of Satan. None of us, Lord, have the ability within ourselves to change our present or affect our future. Only you, Lord. And we ask that, Lord God, that you would deal with us kindly. Lord, that you would deal with our lives. That, Lord, you would strengthen us and help us to rise. Lord, during those times of sifting, Lord, those times of trial, that we would cling to you. Oh, Father, we pray that you would be glorified, that you would be exalted, and that, Lord, all your plans and purposes would be fulfilled. We ask this, Lord, for your glory and your glory alone in Jesus' precious name. Amen.